Tim Kelly, our buddy, joins us. Phillies Nation uh, does a lot for uh, Odyssey Sports. You, you, you'll hear a lot of his work and his, uh, his crew. He's got some real good people that he works with, knows the Philadelphia Phillies just about as well as anyone else, and he joins us, is, uh, you know, more than nice enough to join us here tonight as he keeps an eye on home runs and talks some Phillies baseball and Major League Baseball with us. Hello, Timmy. It's good to talk to you, Ricky. Happy to be at the All-Star break and looking forward to what comes after. All right, let's start right there. Uh, a big week, last, you know, last seven games, five and two, you know, unexpected, to, to be honest with you. I didn't think – I knew the Cubs were in a tailspin and the, and the Phils were getting the Cubs at the perfect time. But to go into Wrigley Field, which, you know, has been difficult for the Phils in the past, but to take three out of four, and really I guess the only game they lost was Wheeler's start, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, to go in there and win three out of four and then go to Fenway against a very hot Red Sox team, you know, the team is depleted yesterday by the COVID situation, and to come out of there with two out of three, you know, that, that it almost is a new lease on life or the traditional, uh, what's the famous phrase? It's like a call from the governor to get to the all-star break as a 500 baseball team, Tim. Yeah, I mean, that that's one way to look at it. I, I feel like the, the win yesterday was kind of overshadowed by some of the COVID issues that you mentioned. But, I mean, Ranger Suarez pitched really well out of the bullpen yesterday, and it is encouraging. I'm not doing apologetics for the Phillies. Uh, problems developing talent internally, but it's pretty encouraging. You brought up Bailey Falter and then Ranger Suarez, who was up two years ago. Last year was kind of a lost year, but you have two lefties that can start, they can pitch in the bullpen, and they seem to be kind of fearless out of the bullpen. So that's an encouraging sign. Um, I, I would say this last week didn't necessarily mean that you're all in, but if things continue trending this way, it would be hard to sell. They're 44 and 44, four games out in the loss column to the Mets. I can pick four games. You know, if I go through the schedule, I could probably pick four games that they should have beaten the Mets this year if it wasn't for the bullpen. Uh, They'd have had just a little bit better relief. You know, this team really could have been in first place here at the All-Star break. I can pick four games against the Mets that they should have won, and you probably agree with me. So it's it's not like uh, they're not – you just said we're not 100% back in, but you're still not 100% out. What's going to determine, Tim, in your opinion, whether Dombrowski and Fold try to buy or try to sell or stand pat, but whatever direction they take, which will be two weeks from Friday when they kick the season off again with the doubleheader against the Marlins, two weeks until the trade deadline, what are they going to need to see – in those two weeks where they play Miami, they have four-game series against three of the division opponents, Miami, Atlanta, and Washington, and throw the two games at Yankee Stadium, one which you'll be at, uh, against the Yankees in there. But what are they going to need to see in those two weeks to determine whether they sell or buy? Well, I think that first ten games after the All-Star break, you're going to need to see seven or eight wins and wins in a fashion that feels sustainable. And even beyond that, though, I, I just I don't know that this is a team you're going to go all in with. You don't have uh, you you need multiple relievers. You need another starter, at least another starter. You need a left-handed bench bat, and even then, your defense is, is very flawed. So 
I think the more likely scenario is probably you do something like 2018 where you tweak around the edges and add uh, Wilson Ramos and uh, as Drew Will Cabrera, something like that. Obviously not those two specifically, but uh, you make some smaller moves. You buy to some degree, but you're not pushing the chips and you don't have a lot of chips to the center of the table because you have to be realistic. Even if you come out of this division, there's four other teams in the National League better than you. And you have to be honest with yourself about that. So you're looking big picture because obviously there are three powerhouse teams in the National League West. Someone's going to come out of the National League Central, whether it's Milwaukee, Cincinnati. Uh, You know, the Cardinals have had big-time issues this year. I think the Cubs are going to be sellers. I think Arizona is going to be a place where you can pick off some talent possibly and maybe even the Colorado Rockies, if there's anyone on those rosters that that the Phillies would be interested in out of the National League. Uh, But if you're looking at the big picture, yeah, look, do I think this team has any chance of, you know, winning the National League? No. But you don't think that just to take that baby step forward, that aiming for the the division title might not be something that, that might, you know, merit maybe making a deal for a Craig Kimbrell or someone to tighten up that bullpen? Uh, no, probably not, because I think Craig Kimbrell's under control next season, so it, it's going to cost a, a, a notable piece to go get Craig Kimbrell. So you, you find some rentals that certainly improve your team, but ultimately what you're looking at this next off season is having to do a major defensive overhaul with this team and really adjusting the roster. And if you know that's coming in three months, you have to be realistic now and say, is this the time to cash in the limited chips that you have, and probably not would be the answer. That doesn't mean you don't buy in some senses, but you're not going all in on the hope that you can go to the playoffs and probably get eliminated right away. Oh, okay. Interesting. I I would have thought that, and that's insightful. I just think there's some people that might be uh, saying, hey, get, get us to the playoffs. Anything can happen once you're in and, you know, look at it, maybe glass half full where you're looking at it more from a, you know, from a long-term point of view, which I agree with you with, by the way. Uh, Speaking of those changes that would improve the ball club going forward, you say a defensive overhaul. Where do you start with that? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, You start with hoping and praying that the DH comes back on a permanent basis next year because you have three or four guys on your roster right now that could fit that bill as a DH. But most likely is you move Reese Hoskins to DH. This is what I would do. Move Alec Bohm to first base. You have to figure out something with Didi Gregorius because it's apparent his bat still plays, but he's graded out as one of the worst defensive shortstops this year. So you have to move him either the either to third base or second base. Andrew McCutcheon is going to be a free agent, so that's kind of a natural position where you can allow someone to leave and find a defensive replacement. But it, it just it has to be a bigger factor than it has been the last two years because it, it's clearly bitten them this season. You talked about three or four wins. I mean, you could name ten games that you had plays defensively that cost you the game. And you, you have a lineup that when it's intact and together, hits really well. But that, that can't be – that can't mean that you have a, one of the three or four worst defensive teams in the league. Talking to Tim Kelly, Phillies Nation, uh, a 44-44 and 44 Phillies team at the All-Star break moving forward uh, with division matchups, big-time division matchups against Miami, a team they've had difficulty 
beating in the last few years, even with Miami being a bottom feeder, when they were at their worst, the Phils had issues with them. Uh, and then a, a couple of games against the Yankees. Uh, but after that, and a lot of home games, uh, Tim, in the month of July, the, uh, the only two games on the road are the two Yankee games. They'll be playing Miami here, Atlanta here, and then Washington before the uh, deadline and to get to the, uh, to the end of the month when they'll go to Pittsburgh and then back to the nation's capital. Uh, so these, do these two weeks then, you know, are they significant in any way uh, as far as, uh, as the fortunes of this ball club? Or, or, or are we just looking at, you know, playing the string out? How do you look at this? Well, I mean, if the Phillies go 10-0 in the first 10 games after the All-Star break, then maybe you readjust. But I don't think there is a scenario right now where you're pushing all the chips to the center of the table and going all in on this team. But does does that first 10 days matter? If you go 1-9 or go into a spin like the Cubs had, might you sell a few veteran expiring contracts? Potentially. But, I mean, if you go 6-4, and 7-3, and three, whatever, and you're still very much in the NL East race, I don't think you're going to sell. I think you tweak around the edges, though, as opposed to making a, a major deal. If they were, okay, and and – you know, I want to look at both ends of this. If they were to move on from some guys, okay, then are we talking maybe does who's got value? McCutcheon maybe to a to a contending team. You know, who who could the Phils? And look, they need a lot of work in the minor leagues. They need to restock the minor leagues, and we're going to discuss the draft picks here coming up shortly. But whom do you think on this major league roster right now would be of any interest? to a, a big-time contending team that could bring a significant piece, you know, not for now, but something uh, that they can uh, you know, groom in the minor leagues and maybe look at as a, as a future piece of this team? Yeah, in terms of significant piece, I, I don't know if there is that guy. Maybe Zach Eflin, but I don't think you're going to want to move Zach Eflin. Right. In terms of, like, expiring veterans, Andrew McCutcheon, I think they'll be interested, but I don't know. He's more of a DH at this stage. Still is hitting very well, but expiring contract 34 there'll be interest but i don't know that he's someone that you get much of a return for i think with gene segura if you decided to trade him it would be with the thought that you can move dd gregorius to second base and improve your defense in that way so i mean i think there's value in improving your defense and maybe shedding some of the money owed to segura but in that you're getting rid of the guy that's been your best hitter this season so I don't know, and if you're not tearing things down, which I would be shocked if they did, I don't know that you have a piece that can really get you like a franchise-altering return. All right. The Phillies just put out a little while ago a list of some of the kids they got in round two. There's an outfielder, Ethan Wilson, out of South Alabama in round three. Jordan, I guess this is Byers, from, uh, I guess from uh, Texas. Uh, Micah. Ottenbratt from uh, is Trenton High School. Is that Trenton, New Jersey, I'm wondering? No, it's in Michigan. Uh, Griff McGarry, they took in the fifth round out of the University of Michigan. Jose Pena, a Tampa kid who was a pitcher. Christian McGowan in round seven. Jason Ruffcorn out of University of Oklahoma. A lot of pitchers. Uh, I'm seeing a, a trend here. Uh, in the middle rounds, then some outfielders later, Gavin Tonkel in California, Logan Cerny uh, in round 10. 
But uh, their first-round pick is, what do we know uh, about this young man and, and what we can expect from him, hopefully, in the future? Well, we got a chance, A, to talk to him last night. He seemed like a nice kid, nice guy. We also got a chance to talk to Brian Barber, who's a scouting director, and he said they've scouted him pretty much since any COVID restrictions were lifted and they got the chance to beginning last summer. He's someone that they say has touched 97 or 98, but sits 94 to 96. He can throw four pitches. And I think you mentioned it. The idea of building a legion of arms through your system is always an intriguing one. You can find position players, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to develop position players too, but it's a lot easier to find. Finding Zach Wheelers in the free agent market is few and far between. So if you can develop your pitchers from within, you're in a really good position. They've now used back-to-back picks on Mick Abel and Andrew Painter. Now, both of them are in high school, so they're not going to be here next season. But if you're able in three or four years to have those two as major keys in your rotation, then that's a really good thing to have two young, controllable arms in your rotation. So, I mean, so far so good in terms of Brian Barber took over last year as the scouting director, and I think these two picks, I think he did pretty well on. All right, let's shift our focus a little bit to the game itself. Uh, we've seen, and obviously you, you mentioned uh, what happened uh, with the Phils over the weekend uh, with Alec Bohm testing positive. The, the tracing then you know, puts Nola out of the game yesterday, a couple more pieces out of the pen. It's a miracle they, that they were able to get that game at Fenway uh, yesterday. But uh, there was a couple of, bit of, other, couple of other guys, a little guy can name from the Yankee roster. But, Tim, we're starting to see, and this isn't just baseball, it's just a reflection of what we're seeing around the country, but we're starting to see maybe it's this Delta variant or maybe it's a, a result of some of the teams that are below the, the vaccination threshold, but we're seeing more and more guys testing positive. We're seeing it spread around the country again. Are we in any concern, at, at the level of any concern in baseball, about the, I hate to say it, the return of the COVID virus. Well, I mean, I don't think people like me and you and players like Reese Hoskins and different people that are vaccinated, I mean, we basically are in the two Americas thing right now without getting too political. Mm -hmm. People that got the vaccine largely are able to resume their lives. They're maybe, maybe of a day after you get the second shot where you don't feel great, but then you're most likely not going to get it. And if you do get it, it'll just be a cold as opposed to dying. So, I mean, the the science is out, but unfortunately there's a lot of people that are contrarians and think they're smarter than other people. Well, you you heard some of the comments from the Phillies players that think that some of these soft tissue injuries may have something to do with their vaccinated teammates. That's (laughs) Respectfully, that is stupid. I mean, Didi Gregorius has had injuries – uh, or has had problems recovering from injuries dating back before COVID. That's why he's wearing the mask to begin with playing because he had had problems recovering. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing to see, certainly. I don't think you're looking at, like, the sport being suspended, but for teams like the Phillies that aren't at that 85% threshold, they obviously have uh, a higher chance of having something like this affect them. So, you know, you can say personal choice or whatever, and you're entitled to do what you want, but Aaron Nola would have been able to pitch yesterday if he had the vaccine. So, I mean, it is what it is. 
Look, it's, it's something I think that we're going to have to keep our eyes on as the season goes on. All right, as I sit here and watch the Home Run Derby, and Stephen A. Smith earlier today maybe didn't, you know, uh, didn't word his statement correctly, but to a certain extent I think he's got a point, but I'll try to clear this up at least from the fact that there are so many Latino superstars in the game of baseball. But, Tim, the game today, the young, dynamic, energetic, bright new stars of the game, and if you take Mike Trout, who I I think we all, the consensus is that Mike Trout still to this day is the overall best player in baseball, although, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and he's been hurt a lot these past few years. We see him more at Eagles games than we do on the field with the with the Los Angeles Angels. But when you look at the Juan Sotos, the Ronald Acuna Juniors, who's now, you know, unfortunately injured now for the rest of the season, but the Fernando Tatis Jr., the Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you're looking at Shohei Otani, the big names, the big, bright, young stars of this game are non-Americans. What is the conundrum and how can baseball promote its game and market? Baseball has a hard enough time marketing its stars, period. And it just makes it, I think, even more difficult because these players are are international. Some don't speak the greatest English. Some do. You know, Fernando Tatis, you know, speaks pretty good English. Not all of them do. But is it just making it harder for baseball, who's trying to garner the attention and the love of some of the youth of this country, you know, to market its sport when – the majority of its young stars, superstars, are foreigners. No, um, because Mike Trout is uh, as white as I am, and they couldn't market Mike Trout, who is like a modern-day Mickey Mantle. So it's but is that than- but is that more Mike Trout, or is it more baseball's inability to market anything? It's baseball's inability to market anything, which okay. is whether you're white, speak English, Spanish, whatever the case may be. And a lot of the guys you mentioned, Fernando Tatis speaks really good English. I believe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. speaks some level of it. Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto speaks some level of English. But the reality is if you can't market your product on the sport, that's the biggest issue is being able to market that product. And it goes to – you need to have like the the NBA off season is arguably as interesting as the actual season itself. The baseball off season is a bore. So you have three or four days that all these transactions are going down in the NBA and it keeps the NBA in the news and everyone is excited. And then in baseball, you have three or four months where you hear trade rumors and different things. And eventually you just get lulled to sleep by it. That's a huge problem, and I mean, ultimately, people either like the sport or they don't like the sport, and I think in a, a society where there's a shorter attention span, people are going to gravitate more towards other sports, but they have to make the on-field product sexier. They're, it can't always be about selling the personalities, because if you watch Shohei Otani and you can't get excited about that and you can't figure out a way to market that, then that speaks more to baseball. I mean, in a lot of senses, I think the fact that we don't necessarily know his personality and we only know him on the field almost makes him more intriguing. And baseball should be able to figure out a way to market that and market it successfully. But, Tim, this guy is a modern-day – I'm glad you brought him up. This guy is a modern-day version of Babe Ruth. Handsome, talented, 
I mean, what's not to like about Shohei Otani? This this guy should be on on cereal boxes, shaving, you know, whatever it is that that, that you know people. What are they, what what's the secret sauce that the NBA and the NFL have, especially the NBA, to to market its young stars and make them household names? This guy should be the talk of American sport. And, and if it weren't for the fact that he's the second coming of Babe Ruth, nobody would even know that he's around. Well, I think he. I, I think partially, I see a lot of people talking about Otani, and maybe it's the bubble I'm in. Yes. But more than just like people have talked about Jacob Degrom this year. They've talked about Otani. They've talked about Vlad Jr. So you have a few guys that they've talked about. The NBA did a much better job when Twitter and YouTube came around of not running around and taking down every highlight video that a fan makes and different things like that. Whereas baseball has loosened it now, but for a long time, they were going around policing highlight videos and taking down Twitter accounts that were promoting their products. So the NBA did a much better job. And ultimately, I think a lot of younger people just like basketball better than they like baseball. So, And you talk about Otani. I mean, he plays on the West Coast for a not good team, and that was the same problem you had with Mike Trout. So that's another thing you have to compete against is that a lot of your talent is on the West Coast right now, and games starting at 10 o'clock, that, that's a hard sell for people that have to get up at 5 in the morning or whatever. But 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 the counter-argument to that, Tim, is, you know, the LeBron – forget LeBron, but you've got talented guys that play on the West Coast of the NBA. It, does baseball need to get more in tune with pop culture, with maybe with, with, with you know, hip-hop artists? I don't know. What's the formula – that they can get their product out and make it. You said you used a great word, make it sexy again. I was going to say make it hip again. I think we're on the same page. Baseball's got to figure a way out to get its product into the mainstream and get that 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 peri- that peripheral fan, not the crazies like you and I that you know we live in this baseball bubble, but that that fan that could may or may not be interested. They've got to pull them in somehow. You have to sell people on the sport. I think what Major League Baseball has done in the last 10 years is try to say, all right, we know you don't love baseball that much, but come to the stadium. It's a beautiful stadium. We'll have this. You can go to the yard and hit and all all these extra things. And, yeah, there'll be a baseball game, but whatever, gambling, all these other things you can do. They, They have to start selling people on the game itself again. And either you like it or you don't like it ultimately. But showing them Tatis and Otani and different people and, I mean, trying to make stars out of people, not just local stars, national mm-hmm. stars. When I was a kid, you grew up and you went to your baseball field and you wanted to be Barry Bonds or you wanted sure. to be Jason Giambi or whoever. And it doesn't matter that they played on the West Coast or whatever. You wanted to be that. And I don't doubt that there's some kids like that now, but it's just there's so many different options of entertainment that didn't exist even 15 or 20 years ago that it's going to be hard for baseball ever to get that type of command again. And maybe it has become more of a niche thing. And it's enough of a niche that it's not going away or anything, but I don't know if it'll ever be at the level it was in the early 2000s or and prior to that where everybody you knew watched the World Series. Everybody you knew talked about Roger Clemens and Randy Johnson. I, I don't know if that's ever coming back. No, I agree with you 100. percent And and it, you know, it, I, I hate to see it because it's it's where uh, how I make my living. It's my passion. It's something that I've grown up with. I think you you're 
you feel the same way. It's a game that we love and that we're passionate about. But as observers of what's going on, sometimes it's it's very, very frustrating, as it is with the with our very own team here in Philadelphia with the Phillies. Sometimes you just want to pull. I mean, in my case, there's not much left. You have more than I do. Sometimes you want to pull your hair out. But it is what it is. We will continue to follow this team uh, you know, quickly. Do you think they get into the playoffs or not? No, I don't. I mean, not, not to be a downer, but no. No wild card? I mean, is there meaningful games? Let me pin you down at least this far. Eagles opening day is Sunday, September 12th. Do the Phillies play meaningful, they're in the race, games, whatever parameter is that you want to consider being, quote-unquote, in the race, meaningful baseball opening day for the Eagles, or once Eagles season starts, adios, Phillies? Well, I think it'll probably be similar to what it's been the last few years, where you're not eliminated, you're still in contention on September 15th and maybe even September 20th. But, yeah, I don't think they're going to be in first place or even, like, within a game. That, that's ultimately my guess on this team. You've seen this core together for a few years now. Uh, they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt, so they have to prove everybody wrong, and we'll go from there. 44-44 and 44 with, uh, I believe we did the math earlier, uh, I think they've got to win 43 of the games that they've got left to maybe get into the postseason. I, I agree with you, Tim, unfortunately, and it breaks my heart to say it. I don't know if they've got it in them. But stranger things have happened. You will be on top of everything regardless. I will see you next week in the ballpark in the Bronx, and I thank you for coming on. Awesome. Looking forward to it, Ricky. You got it. That's Tim Kelly, Phillies Nation, Odyssey. Did he say anything, Tucker, that you vehemently agree or disagree with? I, I think he's right on. I mean, it's encouraging the Phillies have played well recently, and you can point to their offense finally getting healthy and really keying the, these huge outbursts you've seen in the last week or so. But there are so many. I mean, we're, we're celebrating a team that hasn't blown a save in nine days, right? Like, that, that's a Herculean effort for this team right now. And, and it's really, they just have holes all over their, their roster right now. That adding a guy like Craig Kimball or Chris Bryant, I don't think necessarily pushes them over the edge. Like, they still need a full offseason season of work to really be a playoff contender. So John Marks, I'll tell you what, let's go to break. And uh, when we come back, John Marks's mom may have solved the, or one of the questions, answered one of the questions that I put out here tonight at the beginning of the program. You'll find out.